Welcome back to Kids Brain Detectives. I'm Dr. Jennifer Morrison, your host. I can't wait to share this week's episode. This is the Kids Brain Detectives special series that I'm calling the Little Kid Episodes. We spend a lot of time talking about bigger kids, and most of the time that we spend at Kids Brain are with bigger kids because that's when issues start to be more impacting on life and school. But we do a lot of work with little kids too, from birth all the way up into kindergarten entry. So we're going to spend a couple of episodes talking about that age range. This first episode in the series is going to cover very little kids and how to access services through special education. If you are seeking services through your local public school, and there are some additional elements that will be included as well to talk about readiness assessment, both preschool readiness and kindergarten readiness. So this episode includes me, Dr. Jennifer Morrison, and an LPA on my team, Lee Fisher, who is my developmental specialist. Hope you enjoy this series. Hello, Kids Brain families. This is Dr. Morrison talking with you about some super exciting special education stuff that may be helpful for you. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about very little kids and special education services. There are a number of recordings that cover what I think of as your school-age kids that span elementary school, middle school, and high school as far as eligible services that may be available, what types of services, Section 504 versus special education, handicapping codes, and all of that. But there is a special kind of carved out set of provisions for very little kids. In theory, the special education service does not start until the age of three. So if you have a child who is diagnosed with a developmental delay or is showing signs of difficulties with speech and language development or motor development or cognitive development prior to the age of three, they fall under a provision specifically for early childhood. Here in the state of Texas, they call it early childhood intervention, so ECI. And sometimes those services, depending on the school district, are funded through the school district. Sometimes the school district pays for those services through outside contractors. So in some of the school districts around Dallas, especially in the northern reaches that are well-funded school districts, they will actually have schools for children in the early childhood age range that are receiving services on site. Others will have uh, walk-in services. So let's say you have a child who has speech needs only. They only have struggles with language and communication. They may come into see a provider a couple of days a week for a session, but they don't attend school there. But starting at the age of three, there is a possibility that this looks like an embedded service. So you could have a preschool programming within an elementary school, or you could have a completely separate early childhood setup but you don't have the ability to enter until the age of three. Before that, the services can be offered through the school district directly or through contractors, but ECI services don't happen in a physical school. So from birth through the third birthday, so up into the third birthday, those services are usually in a home health service. So the providers come to the family home or into a community setting, or 
they have a standalone center where developmental services are offered and families take their children there. But it is not necessarily something that happens the same way in every place, even within the sort of radius that I work within here at Kids Brain, there are some school districts that will have centers where they refer families for all of their services. The school district funds those centers through a joint financial agreements. And then there's others that don't have center-based services. They're smaller school districts, usually with less funding. And then we'll have private contractors that are set up to provide those services and not in a clinic setting. So through the early intervention program, you have kind of two different pieces. You have the birth through age two piece and then the three and up piece. So we're going to talk about the what I think of as the preschool age services where special education services are in play starting at age three. And this is going to be when you have children from three and up who have different types of needs because of delays. And it may be physical needs like reaching, crawling, walking, drawing, building, motor development. It could be that they are having deficits in cognitive skills like thinking, learning, and early problem solving. They could have difficulties with communication skills like talking and listening and understanding others. They may have limitations in what are called adaptive skills, which are self-help skills like eating and dressing and toileting. And then you may have a child who has developmental delays in their early social and emotional skills like playing and interacting with others. Although all states offer some sort of early intervention service, not all of them do this the same way. So for those of you that may be listening outside of the state of Texas or outside of even the Dallas Metroplex, it may look very different in your hometown or in your state. Some states allow families to make their own referrals if they're concerned, but there's generally a process where you reach out to the school district and make a request for services to be initiated. And then if they are eligible, they will have a coordinator from the state's early intervention program that will develop an individualized plan specifically for the family. So for children in this age range, there's usually a parent piece involved. There should be a parent piece involved because that's how you're going to help children the most because their parents are going to spend much more time with them than the speech therapist or the developmental specialist that comes to the house. So who qualifies for early intervention services? Any child that has a developmental delay or a specific health condition that will probably lead to a delay, including things like genetic disorders that you know over time lead to educational impacts, birth defects, hearing loss that's progressive over time, those sorts of things, are potentially eligible for early intervention services. In a few states, kids can get services if they're at risk for developmental delays because of risk factors like low birth weight, drug exposure, and other environmental issues. So state by state, thus may vary depending on who is going to receive these services, but it is possible within your state for kids that are risky for future developmental delays to catch those early and help them. And if those services are available, you should be capitalizing on those. For a child who does qualify for early intervention services, the kinds of things that can be covered under these plans include speech and language services with a speech language pathologist or an SLP, 
physical services through an occupational or physical therapist to work on motor development, psychological services, either working with a child directly from a behavioral standpoint, working with a family for parent training, home visits, medical nursing and nutrition services for kids who are medically complex. Maybe they have a feeding tube or some other medical ongoing thing that parents need support for because this is something that's going to impact them future wise as far as their educational needs. Then they start early in providing services. Kids that have already been diagnosed with hearing or vision problems that are impacting their ability to interact with the world and to learn social work services, transportation services, and other assistive technology services can also be included in these early intervention plans when they are created well. Sometimes they're not. And it is up to the family then to find resources to help themselves out. The team of brain detectives here at Kids Brain serves this role quite frequently. But part of this process is to make sure that we have parents who are educated, which is why We are making these super, maybe not exciting, but hopefully helpful recordings to give you an overview of what these services and the available resources might look like for you and your child. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. This week's Build, Bond, and Connect tip is called Play Their Way. So it's probably not a gigantic surprise that one of the major recommendations for building the bond between you and your child means playing together. Although most parents know this, and they may even try to set aside time to play consistently, most of the time parents simply don't play the right way. So there are some right and wrong ways to do play. And we as adults like to structure play in general. So we play like adults do. We try to set boundaries and social rules. If a child engages in play that's unkind or unfair, we may step in and use this as an opportunity to teach a lesson or a skill. And all of these things can be fine in their place. But for this particular segment, what we're talking about is carving out some time to play with your child in a slightly different way. This means being with them, But more importantly, it means taking their lead and not correcting or structuring their play unless there's some sort of inherent danger and allowing yourself to be silly, which may be the hardest part in all of this. We as adults are taught that being silly and playful is something that we're no longer allowed to do. And some of us are better at this than others. The themes in play that your child selects don't have to make sense. This is simply a togetherness time. And the primary goal for playing their way is not to teach or to redirect or to scold or attempt to take control of the scenario as a teaching opportunity. Let your child run the show. Your job is to follow along and match what they are doing. Maintain their tempo and their energy level and allow yourself to be as silly as you are comfortable being. And more importantly, Let it show in your body language and in your face that you're pleased to simply be sharing this time with your kiddo. Most of the time we think of play opportunities as being more prominent when kids are younger, which I agree. When kids are in the toddler age range or the preschool or early childhood age range, they still play like we think of kids playing with materials, with 
cars, with figurines, with dress-up items, with a pretend kitchen. These are all things that are much more common in the younger age ranges. But it is 100% possible to use this method for your older kids too. Their version of play may just look different. So this may mean playing board games, jumping in on a video game, even if you hate it. Don't tell them that you hate it because that suggests to them that they shouldn't invite you again. And we all want to be invited to our teenager's party, I promise. You can also include sports activities like playing catch or coming up with a silly game that involves hula hoops in your backyard or practicing soccer, but in a completely non-directive way. Just let your child do their thing. And maybe this is when you use some slapstick humor or an opportunity to just be funny and free. Let your guard down and let your kids in and show them that you are adult enough to let them play their way. Welcome back to the Kids Brain Detective Podcast. I'm here today with my colleague, Lee Fisher, my LPA and teacher trained extraordinaire. She comes with a lot of extra tools. So I thought she'd be the perfect candidate to talk about our topic for today. Thanks for coming, Lee. Thanks for having me. So Lee's background is in neurodevelopmental disorders and she spends a good portion of her time working with kids who have neurodevelopmental disorders as a teacher in a specialized classroom. Yes. So I'm going to draw on both of those sets of skills today, if I can, to be able to address a common question that comes up when we are dealing with our kids' brain kids. And the question is related to learning, learning potential. Sure. So we test kids at Kids Brain from zero to 19. So the question of learning and benefiting from the educational environment is a recurrent question from little kids all the way up to college readiness. But what I want to focus on for this discussion is the concept of preschool and kindergarten readiness, although they vary slightly. Sure. And to talk a little bit about, let's start first with kind of the teacher perspective. You use the phrase a lot when you think about kids in the classroom. What's that phrase again? Ready to learn. So tell me from the teacher hat, from your teacher hat, and tell me what ready to learn means, like, as it shows up in your classroom. Sure. So a lot of times when we think of preschool or kindergarten readiness, we're thinking about do they know their numbers? Do they know their letters, colors, and shapes? But from a classroom setting, there's a lot more that really dictates um, the ability to teach a student. And those are things like being able to sit an appropriate amount of time, being able to sit in a group, being able to share, being able to look at the person that's speaking um, or attend to a topic. We don't expect you know, hours of attention for a child this age, but they need to be able to have enough skills to increase the amount of opportunities to be able to teach. Can they function around other children? Will they play with other children? Um, how much support do they need to understand how to use materials in the classroom? If they're feeling frustrated, do they know to say, I need help? Do they know how to indicate their need for help? Or instead of tantruming or or having um, maladaptive behaviors in the classroom, can they work inside of a group of children and teachers and kind of help to build a whole classroom setting? Those are things that really play into our ability to teach a student. Uh, at that young age and to make sure that those early skills continue to grow. Okay. So if we're thinking about kind of backing into what we do 
outside of that classroom role that you have to switch hats a little bit sure. to your LPA role, which specializes in neurodevelopmental assessment. Mm-hmm. How would you, from an assessment standpoint, answer that question when a parent comes to you and says, my child is you know, on the cusp of being able to enter preschool or enter kindergarten, are they ready for that? Sure. What sorts of things from an assessment standpoint are you considering? Well, from a top level, I'll look to see, you know, did they know their letters or numbers and how much of those? Is that age appropriate? I'll also look to see, can I teach them something? Do they pick up on that? Can they do some turn taking? Can we initialize a little game such as throwing a ball back and forth or maybe a game that they're not familiar with, a simple game, and can they engage in that sort of an activity with me? Can they follow an instruction to clean up? Can they self-feed? Can they um, do some basic care things that are needed in a classroom, especially when there's multiple kids and they aren't attended to on an individual basis? And those are really some of the main school readiness things that we look for from an assessment aspect. Sure. So in addition to those kind of behavioral pieces that you're observing and the interaction styles and the social elements that are embedded, we're also going to generate some data yeah. from the assessment process because the whole purpose of doing assessment, um, at least to make a determination about a child's capabilities that you can put some numbers to is to compare them with other children in their age range because those are the kids that will be in their cohort of peers when they enter that preschool classroom or the kindergarten classroom. We're trying to figure out if there's a gap in any of these areas that would potentially serve as an obstacle for them in a classroom setting. So oftentimes I think people think of the um, admissions process mm-hmm. for a lot of these schools, which will ask for information like an IQ score, an overall right. IQ test. How important do you think a child's IQ score is in helping them be ready to learn? Uh, very little at this age. IQ scores just aren't extremely stable at this age. And we'll look for other skills that are more cognitive-based, such as like problem solving. Um, But the bigger thing is really the social piece of it. Can they communicate with others in an effective way? And does the child throw a tantrum every time something happens? Can they problem solve? Um, Can they interact with others? Can they engage in imaginary play? And we have, oh, a series of questions after questions that details um, just how well they can do these sort of tasks or skills at this age. Cognitive is definitely a piece of it, but the domains that we test are fine and gross motor, adaptive skills, cognitive, social, and language. And the reason I test all those is we'll look to see how do those work in conjunction with each other, because none of those domains work in isolation. So just looking at cognitive or IQ score doesn't tell the whole picture. Because if a child knows their numbers and letters well, but struggles with gross motor in a way that causes them to be upset or struggles with social skills in a way that causes them to be upset or can't hold a pencil well or struggles with that, then cognitive by itself isn't enough to, they're going to need more support in other areas in the classroom. Okay. So if we're thinking about the pieces of information a parent might want to know to judge their child's readiness for the classroom, we've talked about a number of um, behaviors, a lot of which are related to social functions, task management skills, 
We're also talking about underlying skills like language development and motor development in muscles and hands and fingers and the ability to move the body and navigate the um, educational setting. There's an academic piece too, which as we get into, if I'm thinking about both preschool readiness and kindergarten readiness, once we get to the question of kindergarten readiness, we've moved beyond the colors, numbers, letters. We're talking about uh, writing formation skills. Like, can you make the lines to form these letters in writing? Can you recognize concepts that allow you to use problem-solving skills and yeah, in language tasks or in early math tasks? And those elements in formal testing are not found on cognitive measures. Absolutely. They're found on other neurodevelopmental measures that look at language functions, motor functions, social functions, and academic testing. Yeah. And so do you think it's fair to say, from an assessment standpoint, wearing both your LPA assessment specialist hat (laughs) and your teacher who works with kids that learn differently hat? Would you say that you would want information from all of those domains to allow yourself some understanding of that child's needs and capabilities in your classroom? Absolutely. One thing during testing, it's just me with the child and it's one-on-one. It's a very, very kind of prime situation. When you're in a classroom, there, it's not a one-on-one setting. There's a lot of kids and a number, you know, anywhere from one to a couple of adults in there. And so there's other aspects that we look at. The child won't have the full attention of any one person at a time. So being able to see some of their independent level, obviously in an age-appropriate way, is important. You know, gross motor matters a lot. Can a kid sit in a chair? Fine, that sounds simple. But if a child struggles with that in a classroom setting, they're going to need some more attention on that. That does not mean that they're not kindergarten ready, but that is an area that they might need support in language development is significant because there's a lot of behaviors that are tied to language. The child has trouble communicating their needs or their wants or their dislikes in a way that's socially acceptable using language. Sometimes they might have to resort to tantrums or malbehaviors to get their point across. And the classroom setting that's really tough. And it kind of inhibits the learning process for them and for the whole class. That might be a case where we're looking at, you know, class size. Is class size appropriate for that child to get their attention? Um, with fine motor, are they able to hold a pencil, hold a crayon? How much support is needed? There are outside interventions needed to help them foster that fine motor growth to be at a relative pace with their peers. And um, one thing we haven't discussed, but sensory processing plays into it a lot. That especially uh, falls into class size. Can a child tolerate being, you know, some public school class sizes, maybe uh, 20, 25 kids, and can they tolerate being in a class with that many bodies and that much sound? Or do they need to be around? Which uh, varies from child to child, but taking a look at how they take in their senses and the world around them is really important to know in a classroom setting. So it sounds like Part of a, a good comprehensive readiness evaluation, whether it's for preschool entry or kindergarten entry, would be some individual child characteristics, some indications of what they've been able to learn from their environment thus far, yes. how their learning potential looks as they draw on those kind of foundational developmentally dependent skills and language and motor functions, but also in reverse can give you information about the kind of classroom that that child may be 
more readily able to learn in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So one final thought that I had in that last uh, portion of the discussion was about timing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times parents will pursue a, um, whether it's part of an application process or their data gathering, you know, kind of like documenting their child's capabilities before enrollment considerations are made. Oftentimes when you are testing a child, it is not like a week before they start preschool no. or kindergarten. At what time frame in their development would you think it's logical to do a readiness evaluation and why? For preschool, maybe in the three to four year range, because um, we can look to see um, what skills they have at that point. We can also look at what their background has been. Have they already been in school? Have they received any interventions? And we can kind of develop a, an idea of the pace of their skills growth, and we can project forward. Um, in that range also, if there are potential developmental delays or some that are already standing out, we can start to put interventions in place at an earlier pace for them if needed. Anytime, I'm always glad to evaluate a child and the earlier, the better. I feel like for kindergarten or preschool readiness within that year before PUD approval, a lot of information for that process. I also think getting information that far in advance can be helpful for kids where the determination is that there may be some obstacles for their ability to um, step into a classroom and be ready to learn right away. And if that's the case, it gives parents a much larger window to provide intervention to ready their child for the classroom. Yes. If we're talking about the classroom they're going to enter in August and we're doing an evaluation in July, that offers very little opportunity for improvement of skills. We're targeting specific skills with that super close window. However, if we're talking about assessment in the, the fall before that mm-hmm. or the winter before that, that gives a good five to six month span. And there's a lot of good that early intervention services can provide in that age range. Absolutely. In a six month span. Absolutely. So I think, I think to your point, giving yourself a little bit of lead time mm-hmm. to be able to gauge where your child's at. Because if you have an assessment completed a full year before you're considering a child's entry into like the latter stages of preschool. When I say preschool readiness, I'm usually not referring to like entering preschool at two. Right. Because all kids are learning to learn at that age range. Right. I'm thinking about kids that are finishing up the tail end of their preschool timeframe. And then we have kind of that eye on kindergarten around the corner. So to me, the opportunity to explore those skills well enough in advance to offer some supports would be like maybe the most optimal window for assessment because it gives you a chance to build on what's there. Absolutely. And to see what their capabilities are like. Information at any age is very helpful. Um, The wait and see approach has never been one that has ever sat well with me because the earlier we can get information, the more that we can provide uh, interventions for a kid or to know that we're on track with what we're doing already. Wonderful. Thank you so much for answering these questions for me today. I I love early intervention evaluation and readiness assessment, and I can't wait to do more at Kids Brain. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.